fear and death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Oh, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking at the book of of, uh, Acts chapter number 4. The book of Acts chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading with verse number 32 this morning. The book of Acts chapter number 4 began reading with verse number 32. The Bible says... Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's look at chapter 5 and verse number 1. But, say but. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. 
Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Father, I thank you for your incredible and infallible word. God, I just pray today that a powerful anointing, Lord, will rest upon the message and also upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, help us to be led by your Holy Spirit in this message today. Open the heart of the hearer today. Father, all for the glory of God, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, if you are new to the Grace Place, we are in a series that I'm calling Take Action. What we are doing is we are taking a journey through the book of Acts, which is an action-packed book. Now, in the book of Acts, we've already witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room where 120 people were gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We've also witnessed the birth of the early church that came about at the, as the result of the gathering in the upper room. We've also witnessed the explosive growth of the church where the Bible says that, that in one day 3,000 people were saved and on another day 5,000 were saved in one single day. In this series of messages, we've already witnessed the miracle of the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple that was followed by some persecution of the apostles because they were gaining influence over the people that had previously been, uh, been enjoyed by the, by, by the priests and the religious leaders of the day. That pretty much brings us up to today. That took a minute, and it took me six sermons to get there. There are four things that I want to point out to you this morning. There are four things I want us to look at in the Scripture that we have read for today. And the first thing that I want to point out to you, the first thing that I see in the Scripture for the day is the sharing. And we find the sharing in verses 32 through 37 that we read a moment ago. When the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, and especially in its infancy, there was, there, there was much joy. There was much excitement. Man, there, was a, there, was, there was a vast amount of enthusiasm. Man, I mean, the people were riding high with emotion. And their overflowing joy was reflected uh, in their wallets. Here's what I've discovered It's very, very easy to determine what a person's passion is. I could very easily tell you what you're passionate about. Even if I don't even know you, I could, uh, it wouldn't take me but just about five minutes to discern what your passion is. And, And the way I would do that is I would find out what you spend your money on. Because where you are willing to invest your money, where you're willing to spend your dollars, that tells what your passion is. Now, I'm a tightwad. Always have been. I guess I probably always will be. Uh, I can squeeze a dollar so tight that tears come out of Washington's eyes. 
I'm, I'm a tight wad. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something this morning. I'm not tight with my God and I'm not tight with my family. Why? Because that's where my passion is. The people in the infancy of the early church were passionate about, about their newfound liberty that came through the message of the cross and continued through the experience of the, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Where once they needed a priest to go to God for them now, now they could go to God on their own and actually they could have God living on the inside of them. The religious rules and unattainable regulations of the law were now being replaced with a personal relationship with God. No wonder there was much joy. No wonder there was so much happiness. No wonder this spilled out and spilled over onto undue generosity to their newfound church and to its members. The first thing I see in our scripture today is the sharing. The people in the early church sold many of their positions, possessions and, and brought the money to the apostles and the apostles took the money that was brought to them and the apostles distributed that money to the people in the church as they had need. Two things about the sharing in the early church I want us to understand this morning. And the first one is this, they gave to a vision. They gave to a vision. I say the care ministry was definitely evident in the early church because the people genuinely cared for one another. They, they, cared for each, they cared so much for one another that they made sure that every single member in the church had everything they needed. If somebody in the church was hungry, they, they gave them food to eat. If somebody in the church was without shelter, oh, they brought them into their own home. If somebody in the church had a legitimate need, they made sure that whatever the need was that that member had, that that need was met. Now, understand this morning, that doesn't mean they didn't qualify the needs and make sure that these were legitimate needs. It doesn't mean that people were allowed to be lazy. It didn't, doesn't mean that the people were allowed to be lazy and live off of the generosity of the church. Oh, in fact, Paul later said, uh, if someone's not willing to work, they shouldn't be able to eat. But what it does mean is it means that the members of the early church took care of one another. If somebody had a surplus... They were not willing to hoard it while other church members did without. So, so you see, the early church had a vision of taking care of, the, of its own. And they did it well, at least in the beginning. They gave to a vision. I want to remind you this morning that our church, the Grace Place, we have a vision. We have a vision. We're not just flying by the seat of our pants. We're not just making it up as we go along. We have a vision. And our vision is to be caring people, caring for people. And because we care, because we care, we provide everyone with a care minister. That is our heart. It is our heart that every single member and an attender, regular attender of our church have somebody that is up over them, that is watching out for them, that is caring for them, that is helping them along in this journey. 
So because we care, we provide everyone with a care minister. And because we care, we partner with caring ministries all around the world. I'm giving you two things about the sharing. First of all, they gave to a vision. And then second of all, they gave voluntarily. You'll find this in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. We need to understand that selling property and possessions wasn't mandatory. It wasn't some kind of initiation fee in order to be a part of the church. Their giving was, their giving was voluntary. Now, some gave all. And others gave some. Some gave sacrificially, and some gave out of, their, out of their surplus. Kind of like it is around here. Hello? See, see, see people, people haven't changed. People haven't changed. People are people, and people have always been People and people of every era have the very same basic human tendencies. That's why the Bible, written centuries ago, is still relevant today. All right, right, we've talked just a little bit about the sharing. The next thing I see in our scripture for today is the scheme. And we find the scheme. Scheme in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and reread that part this morning. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Sold what? Notice it says a possession. It doesn't say sold everything they had, it said they sold a possession. I want you to understand that not everybody sold everything they had and gave it all. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't mandatory for Ananias and Sapphira to sell everything they had and give it to the church. But the Bible says that Ananias and Sapphira, verse 1, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? He said, while it remained, was it not, in, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So so we see here that a married couple in the church named Ananias and Sapphira concocted a scheme. They sold a piece of property that they owned and and they decided together as a couple, as a husband and wife, they decided together to give part of the money to the church, but they decided to keep part of the money for themselves, which was all right. No problem. Remember, giving to the church was voluntary. Also remember, please understand, we're talking about giving here. We're not talking about tithing. We need to understand that Ananias and Sapphira didn't sin in keeping part of the money. 
Their sin was in the scheme. Their sin was the sin of deception. Their sin was in their hypocrisy. They sold the land for so much, they kept back part of the money from the sale, but acted like they gave all the money from the sale of the land to the church. And when Peter asked them point blank if this was all the money from the sale of the property, they both lied and they both said yes. First of all, that was pretty bold of Peter to ask if that was all the money. You think you have a bold pastor. Can you imagine how it would go over here at the Grace Place if I asked you point blank, face to face, have you paid all your tithe? Are you sure you paid on everything? How about your bonuses? Did you pay pay tithe on that Christmas bonus? How about your overtime pay? Pay on that? How about that money that you inherited? How about that money that somebody gave you? How about the gift of money you received? Have you paid all? How do you think that would go over here? I think I'd be retiring prematurely. (laughs) Can I just be honest with you this morning? I hadn't really been lying to you, but can I just really be honest with you this morning? (laughs) At the end of every year, we give out giving statements to everybody that gives to the church. And then then I also, I write a thank you letter to people who have given money to the church that year. And that letter goes in with the giving statement. If you gave to the church, you would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but if I'm totally honest with you this morning, when I write a thank you letter to go into, in, into your giving statement at the end of the year, there's a lot of people. There are several. There's a lot of people I'd like to write on their giving statement. Really? <laughs> really? Are you sure? (laughs) We're talking about the scheme right now. Peter looks at the money Ananias and Sapphira brought to the church and he says, really? Really? Are you sure? See, but the sin of Ananias and Sapphira didn't lie in the amount of the money, but in the actions with the money. Two things I want us to notice here. First of all, they pretended to be 100% committed. See, they had so much pride that they didn't want people to think less of them by knowing they kept back part of the money. And they wanted to look good in the eyes of their leaders. I wonder how many pretenders are in church this morning. I wonder how many chameleons are in church today. Oh, those that have the ability to change their colors in order to blend into their present surroundings. Oh, they know how to look like the world Monday through Saturday, but they also know how to look like the church on Sunday. Pretenders. 
Ananias and Sapphira pretended to be 100% committed, but greed had eroded a part of their soul, and hypocrisy was the result. Not only had they pretended to be 100% committed, but, but the second thing we need to understand is they planned their deception. Their lie was premeditated. See, 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 they wanted to live good by keeping some of the money, but they also wanted to look good by pretending to give all the money to the church. The real problem with Ananias and Sapphira was they thought they were just trying to fool the leaders of the church, but what they were actually trying to do was trying to fool God. I think it's interesting. Notice, notice Peter didn't tell them that they had lied to him. Peter didn't say, you lied to me, man. No, he said they had lied to God. Verse number 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Think about this this morning. What does, God, what does God's word say to people who refuse to tithe? Does it say you have robbed the, pre- the preacher? Does it say you have robbed the church? What does it say? Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8 says, Will a man rob God? Rob who? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way or how have we robbed you? And God says, in tithe and offering. We're still talking about the scheme this morning. Ananias and Sapphira concocted a scheme. They developed a plan. They made a pact. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to say. And if we are questioned about the amount, this will be our response. It was a premeditated lie. The only problem was they did not factor in the Holy Spirit. They thought, Peter won't be hard to fool, the the church elders won't be hard to fool, but what they realized, or what they failed to realize was that they did not factor in the Holy Spirit who sees all and knows all and reveals all. Hebrews 4 and 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, let's move on this morning. The third thing I see in our scripture for today is the sentencing. And we find this in verses 5 through 10. The Bible says that both Ananias and Sapphira were judged by God for their actions. They received the death sentence. Pastor seems a bit harsh. Take that up with God. I don't make the rules. Two things we need to understand here. Number one, sin will eventually be punished. Sin will eventually be punished. For this couple, judgment came swiftly. It came quickly. It came immediately. For others, others seem to get by with their sin. But hear me this morning. Do not be fooled and do not be naive. Sin will eventually be punished. I'm talking about unconfessed and unrepented of sin, when I'm talking about sin being 
punish. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. And James chapter number 1 and verse 14 and 15 says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow it gives birth to death. I, I don't know this morning. There, You know the Bible can't write can't provide every single detail. Sometimes I like to read between the lines. Sometimes I, I, I like to imagine and think and, and just and, and wonder. Who, and I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this as doctrine this morning, but who, who knows? Who knows how long Ananias and Sapphira contemplated their scheme? Was it before or after they sold the land? In fact, it's entirely possible that they initially intended to sell the property and give it all to the church. It's very possible. But once the possession was sold and they looked at how large a sum of money it was, they just couldn't do it. Which was okay. It, it, it would have been okay. Because the sin was not in keeping part of the money. The possession was theirs to do with as they wanted. The sin was in trying to deceive. The sin was in their hypocrisy. Not only will sin eventually be punished, but sin will always involve other people. See, it's impossible to sin without affecting other people. Well, this isn't hurting anybody but me. Wrong. Wrong. You can't sin and not involve other people. Ask the alcoholic's family or the porn addict's wife or ask the kids of a home torn apart because of adultery. The Bible doesn't say, we don't, we, we don't know if Ananias and Sapphira had any kids, but, but if they did, they were definitely affected by the sudden death of mama and dad. Sin always involves other people. Don't think that, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm just affecting me. No, no, no. No. Impossible. All right, let's look at the fourth and the final thing that I see in our scripture for, for today. And the fourth thing I find is the scare. And we find the scare in verse number 11 of chapter 5. It says, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. <laughs> now I know that nobody ever talks in our church. Because <laughs> our church is perfect. <laughs> but can you imagine the stir and the talk in the early church? Did you hear about Ananias and Sapphira? 
you hear what they did? Did you hear what happened to them? Man, I bet Facebook was just blowing up, man. <laughs> Everybody gave their opinion on why it happened and why it shouldn't have happened, what they should have, you know. And can you imagine? <laughs> no doubt the tithe and offering at the church went up that week. <laughs> We suggest two things here, and then we're done this morning. Number one, a healthy, say healthy, a healthy fear of God will help minimize the sin in your life. Now, please understand that I'm not, I'm not suggesting that God is this big, mean bully in the sky with a big stick in his hand just waiting for you to get out of line so he can whack you over the head with it. That's not what I'm talking about today. But I am suggesting that we take his word and we take his ways very, very seriously. And I am suggesting a holy fear, which is reverence and respect for him, which is proven by our obedience to his commands and his word. I can tell you whether or not somebody fears God or not. If somebody fears God, they are doing what the word of the Lord tells them to do, and they're not doing what the word of the Lord tells them not to do. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 20 says, your fear of God, say your fear of God. Your fear of God will keep you from sinning. And Proverbs 16 and 6 says, through fear of the Lord, people avoid evil. So a healthy fear of God will help minimize the sin in your life. And then number two, a healthy fear of God will help maximize your relationship with him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 22 and 23, he said, praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. See, see when we get a true sense of who God really is when we understand his magnitude and his majesty and his multifacetedness. Oh, oh, when we begin to understand and comprehend the fact that God is omnipotent and that he is omniscient and that he is omnipresent. Oh, oh, when we begin to develop an awe about God, when we begin to develop a deep respect for him, when we begin to grasp just a little of his awesomeness, oh, and how awesome and how mighty and how powerful and incredible that he is. Proverbs 30 and 4, the question is asked, who holds the wind in his fists? And who wraps the oceans in his garment? And who has created the whole wide world? And then the book of the Revelation, chapter number 4. The book of the Revelation, chapter number 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. We're going to get a little peek into heaven here. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. 
Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their, on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which, is, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living Creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their thrones before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I believe that a healthy fear of God will maximize your relationship with him when you get just a glimpse of who. God is, when you get just a glimpse of His glory, when you begin to understand how holy that He is, when you begin to understand how vast He is, when you understand how righteous and how pure He is, I believe this will maximize your desire to please Him in every area of your life. Musicians and singers, get back in place very quickly this morning, very quietly this morning. Prayer team, if you could get in place as well this morning. Our takeaway for today. Our takeaway for today is our giving to God should be motivated by our love for Him. I personally believe tithing is mandatory. That's my personal conviction. And I believe it goes all the way down the line in whatever amount. Or whatever we're talking about, whatever increase, the tithe belongs to God. But beyond the tithe, there ought to be a desire to give to God. Our time, our talent, as well as our treasure. But it must be motivated by our love for Him. I told you earlier in the message that, that, that our money follows our passion. And if we are in love with Jesus and we are in love with, with, with God this morning, we will have a, have a, have a, have a desire to, to be a giving person. Our giving to God should be motivated by our love for Him. This is our takeaway today. Because we love Him, we should be generous with Him with our time, talent, and treasure. And then a second takeaway, takeaway for the message today is a healthy fear of God is good. When I was growing up, I think they went overboard preaching on the fear of God. I think today nobody even gets within a country mile of it. The fear of God, it should be a healthy fear, an understanding of what that fear is. That's a reverence for God and a reverence for His Word. Understanding in that reverence that if we disobey His Word, we will pay the consequences. A healthy fear of God will maximize or will minimize the sin in our life and it will help maximize our relationship. 
with him. Would you stand with me in his presence today? I'm not sure if I've ever preached on Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. I don't think I've ever done that in 43 years of preaching. I don't think I've ever preached a message on that, but we're in the book of Acts. We're going to read it all. We're going to have to preach it all. It's not one of those you say, oh, I think I'll preach on that one. The people will really like that one. But it's the word. And it's in the New Testament. After the cross, after the resurrection, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Bow your head with me, please. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll do your work today. Do your work of conviction. Conviction is not bad. Conviction shows me my sin so that I can repent of it and I can get forgiveness. Conviction helps me know the areas of my life that you're not pleased with so that I can move away from those areas and into the areas whereby you will be pleased.